I speak to you in the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Uh, the Dean of Canterbury Cathedral has a lovely phrase that I heard recently in connection with some of his meditations on the war in Ukraine. And he, he had an anecdote about a, an act of human kindness between Ukrainian and Russian, um, and he called it, as Christians, our shared work. And Lent is a time for us as Christians to be focused on our shared work, and the shared work is both external and internal. Externally, our shared work is to bring peace, justice, compassion to our society, to our civilization, to the world, to our neighbors, to our neighborhoods. And that is a work that remains and the needs are obvious and pressing um, and uh, they don't really require much uh, exposition in a sermon. Um, but they are, they, are, they are one half of the equation, fully one half of the equation. The other half is the internal work because our external work if we, are, if we have not uh, made ourselves right on the inside, we can corrupt that external work and we can turn it into works of darkness, even though the intent is for works of light. So the other side of our shared work as Christians is to always be focused on the state of our own hearts and the things that get in the way uh, of us living out uh, from our deepest spiritual selves. And so we have that Lenten reflection on sin. And, uh, you know, I, uh, one of the realities of the last few years is that I don't have to prove that sin exists. Uh, we, we look everywhere. It is obvious. The real problem is what we can do about it. And I am firmly of the belief that we do something about it at all dimensions. But the thing over which we have the most power and control is what we do about the sin that's in here. And so our gospel reading for the first Sunday of Lent is three temptations uh, that Jesus overcomes. And they are, they are uh, temptations that represent the whole gamut of human temptation, and they're deliberately so. So you have, in fact, three categories of human temptation, three categories of sin that, that uh, have the effect of um, getting in the way of us living out of that higher self uh, to which we are all called. I'll go, th I'll go through them each in turn, hopefully not take too much time. There's a lot that can be said on each of these. Um, but just so you get the framework, it comes out of the uh, ancient Greek mindset, which is still pretty good, um, that there are sort of three levels to human experience or um, uh, the, to the human being and to, hum uh, to the human reality. And there is the physical, there's the social, and the spiritual. And the three temptations follow those three categories. In fact, in some Greek uh, philosophical thinking, um, they, they argued that certain humans never, that there, there's a hierarchy, that there's the physical, the social, and the spiritual, and some humans never rose uh, up beyond a certain level within that hierarchy. And I, I can't remember the Greek names. I only remember the name for the lowest one, the hylix, which were considered creatures of brute matter, no better than beasts, because they had not risen above that first level of the physical operation of the human being. So what they lived for was pleasure, the end. They fled pain, they sought pleasure, they cared about food and drink and having a good time, and that's it. And so the, uh, the ancient Greek philosophers looked down their nose at them and in some, uh, in some schools of thought said that that's a kind of creature um, that is not fully human. 
I wouldn't go that far. I think that we are all fully human, but I would talk about the language of being developed or undeveloped. And if we have not developed past that level of physicality, then this is one of the classic ways that we fall into sin. We fall into not being who we are in the deepest sense. So the physical level, um, what's interesting to me about the physical level, we can talk about gluttony and, and, and so forth, uh, the, the classic um, Christian understandings. Where, I f- what, where I'm interested is that in modern brain science, there is still an interesting connection to this ancient insight that our physical being uh, can be a challenge in living out of our highest self. And in Craig Renfrew's talk uh, about addictions, we heard about some of that brain chemistry stuff where we have a built-in reward and punishment structure within our brain chemistry. Um, and we, we seek pleasure. We have that dopamine rush that, we, that makes us feel good. And the, the, uh, the challenge and the danger of addictive substances is that they're a shortcut to getting that dopamine rush. So if I just have a shot of whiskey, then I feel good, the the brain chemistry is rolling, I feel happy, Um, but because it's a shortcut, um, the normal ways to feel good in life are actually much harder to achieve, so I just go to the bottle more and more and more, and my brain, in fact, becomes less able to produce that chemical naturally than artificially, and so we fall into addiction, and we all know about the sinfulness of a life that is governed by addiction. And I submit to you that that is a a, a sort of an extreme example of something that is a more universal principle in human beings. We, We are all at some level prone to addiction, whatever that addiction might be. And that living for physicality, I mean, uh, I think there's been a lot more uh, interest and awareness of sugar addiction, for example. And if we, if we are more aware of that, um, and we are uh, we we see it for the problem that it is that gives us the tools to rise above it and not live for bread alone because when we do that then we are uh, we are contributing to the problem of sin that surrounds us so much number 2 social we can rise above our physical natures and become more interested in things of a social nature. And in the broadest sense, this is the matter of honor and shame. There's a whole dimension of human life uh, which involves uh, being honorable, being highly regarded, uh, having a legacy, being well, well respected by your peers, um, having high social standing. And this can be a very powerful motivator in life. Um, and and yet the clear teaching of the gospel is that this is yet another temptation to live for social standing, for influence, for regard, esteem, power, legacy. This is a, a classic driver of the sinfulness of the world, and we need look no further than Russia for an example in the present day. And so we worship the Lord our God and serve only him. That is the antidote to the temptation for living for power and respect. And, uh, and, and a, a little, even a little bit of critical thought about what it takes to get and maintain power and respect um, means that sometimes you, if you care about true values of truth and love, um, then you're going to have to sacrifice power and respect and regard um, in service of those genuinely spiritual ideals. And if you're not prepared to do that, 
then once again, here's an obstacle to that way of Jesus that is the secret to breaking through this miasma of sin in which we live. Finally, the, uh, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. And, and this category is the spiritual category. And this is the one that is, um, for me, the, uh, the, the greatest and the worst of the temptations. That it's for people who are explicitly and intentionally working on spirituality and higher values. They, they, have, uh, they have set aside, um, they don't live for the flesh, they don't live for the respect of others, they live for what they understand to be spiritual values. And that could be in any religion or denomination. This is a universal human phenomenon. I, I'm mostly aware of how it works in the Christian context. But it's the kind of thing where even Christianity itself gets twisted and turned into something that is more self-serving than is about the actual principles at stake. And uh, the examples from within Christianity are legion. Um, in a very trivial sense, there's a way of using Christian language that serves not the purposes of God, but in fact, uh, human social purposes. Um, there's a, there's a, a certain temptation in every church culture to use the jargon of that culture as a way of establishing membership and deciding who's in and who's out. So if you show up in the morning at the workplace and you say, God bless you, and everybody says, God bless you back, we're, what, what you're really doing is you're participating in an in-group ritual. Um, and the point is to say, are you in? Yes, you're in. We're, you're one of us. Um, and so we end up serving that social purpose. And when it doesn't serve that social purpose, then we either abandon it or we, um, or we, uh, we fall into sin in other ways. We, we fight it. Uh, we fight the others. Um, uh, we leave in a huff or whatever it is that we do. But it's the, it's the taking of the spiritual um, that the sacred thing itself and twisting it, which is the worst, classically, of all the sins. It's the profanation of the sacred. It's, it's like um, the indignation that most of Canada felt when Terry Fox was co-opted into the convoy occupation of Ottawa. It, Terry Fox is an icon of something that's great about Canada. Don't use him for your um, lower purposes. Um, and the same, I feel exactly the same way about much of what gets done in the name of Christianity. Um, when Christianity is used as a club to oppress people or to, to create and maintain social hierarchies and, and to, um, to revile and exclude others, this is taking things that I believe are sacred and using them in profane ways. It is one of the temptations to which the spiritual are prone. And and it's not like there are a bunch of bad people who do this and we, you know, at All Saints or Anglicans or however we define ourselves, are immune to it. My point is that these things lie close to hand for all of us. And in fact, I, unlike the Greeks, don't really see a hierarchy. I don't see that my spiritual journey has been a clear step-by-step -step programmatic progression from point A to point B. I see myself in the soup with all of these uh, these temptations at all times. There are times when I do live for my belly. Um, I mean, I, as a middle-aged person, I've discovered the joys of fine wine. Yeah, it's a temptation. It absolutely is. Um, I am 
no less prone than anyone else to wanting to feel like I am honored in my community and not disgraced. And there are things that I do and do not do out of fear of disgrace and of desiring of honor. And finally, the things that I call sacred and believe to be sacred, there are places in me that find them uh, convenient and actually serve lower purposes than what they were designed to do. And so for Lent, I want to shine that spotlight on these three temptations that are always available to each of us. And if we want to make the world a better place, if we want to follow Jesus to that new humanity that he promises when we die to ourselves and rise to new life, we have to start on the inside and look at how each of us, unlike Jesus, uh, did not reject those temptations and continue to fail to reject those temptations. My final point, having sort of taken you through that little taxonomy and arguing, yes, we are all sinners, we all fall prey to temptation, my final point is that I don't see God as as an entity to be feared. The point of, of working on our sin is not so that we won't be condemned at the end of time. My image of God is not of a judge who is looking for an excuse to throw us in the burning pit. I see God, who created us, as someone who sees the best that is in us, sees the spirit of God that is within us, and is saying to us, why can't you be who I know you to be already, if only you were to see it? And so one of the questions for me in Lent, and the final question is, why do I not see myself as God sees me? And if I can have that vision, that allows me to enter this work from a state of grace and blessedness and, in fact, love, of of being loved and loving, and at the same time working on all those ways where the imperfections remain and must be confronted and eliminated in an ongoing process of moving forward and backsliding, and it is all that we do as human beings uh, in all of its glory and, uh, and tragedy. None of us are exempt from this. We're all in the soup together, and it is part of our shared work. We work out there, we work in here, and Lent is a time to be really serious and intentional about it. And I commend a Holy Lent to each and every one of us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.